I'm Nicole Davis and welcome to Best Girl Grip. Today I'm sharing another in-between season bonus episode that I recorded live as part of the BFI's Woman with a Movie Camera Summit in July. My guest was Molly Manning-Walker, a cinematographer, writer and director. I'll keep this intro brief because I've kept in the live version, but I thought it was quite a no-bullshit conversation. Molly is quite young and to my mind very successful and on a very exciting trajectory, but she made it very clear that that has only been achieved through a very strong work ethic. Listening back to it for the edit, I think it's full of quite practical advice, and we talk about how limitations can be creatively useful, what support looks like on set, and how counselling and intimacy coordination were crucial to the making of Molly's short film, Good Thanks You. This is episode 91 of Best Girl Grip. Hello and welcome to this live edition of Best Girl Grip, the podcast that navigates the film industry through the lens of the women doing just that. I am your host, Nicole Davis. Before I introduce my esteemed guest, I want to thank Kim, Kieran, Sophie and the BFI for organising this invigorating and illuminating woman with a movie camera summit powered by Jaguar and for inviting me to be a part of it. Today I'm thrilled to be joined by writer, director and cinematographer Molly Manning-Walker. Hi Molly! Um, I'm going to do that awkward bit of introducing you now in front of you. (laughs) Call me out on anything that's incorrect. Molly graduated from NFTS in 2019 with an MA in cinematography and has since worked across a variety of formats including documentary, fiction and advertising. She's just finished shooting her first TV series, Super Ho, written by Nicole Leckie and directed by Dawn Shadforth. And she's in prep for Scrapper, directed by Charlotte Regan. Molly's debut writing and directing project was the short film Good Thanks You, which premiered at the Saman de la Critique programme at the Cannes Film Festival. Whilst her follow-up short, conceived and created during the pandemic, The Forgotten Sea, was Biffa nominated. Molly's debut feature film, How to Have Sex, is in development with Film 4, and she was recently awarded the Next Step Prize by Samanda La Critique for the script. You can actually watch The Forgotten Sea right now on the Woman with a Movie Camera website, along with another short film Molly lensed called Run, starring Neve Algar. And if that wasn't enough, you can also watch two Film 4 back shorts that Molly has worked on called Pompeii and Morning Song on all four for free. Um, I'm hoping to have some time at the end for audience questions, so I believe there's a Q&A box that you can put those in if you have any, um, but we do have a lot to get through, so uh, let's get cracking. Um, Molly, hi, thank you so much for being here today. No worries, and nice to be inside in this hot, hot day. <laughs> Truly, yeah, I would not want to be outside, so perfect, perfect conditions for this. Where I always like to start with the podcast is just by getting a sense of how you, how you got into the film industry, and I'd love to know if you went to university, and if you did, what you studied there. Yeah, so I, I went to Bournemouth, but before that I was sort of, there was like a leadership course at my school, and I was taking photographs, and they like asked me to go out and take photographs, just occupy London. And I had like a DV camera and I ended up making like a little documentary and that became my art GCS. Like it was like, it all became part of like studying art at school. It was like going out and making little films because I couldn't really draw or paint. So I kind of used yeah. it as a, as a side angle on art and then ended up going to Bournemouth, which was like the best time ever where I met like some of my key collaborators now, uh, Billy Boyd Cape, who I like a lot of ads with. Yeah. And then, from from there, graduating was super lucky that Billy's like super focused. And so he got signed to Academy pretty quickly and we we're making ads like or high end music videos like quite quickly out of uni. Uh, but then I realised I was kind of only shooting for him. I was like very conscious that I was doing like trainee work and running work, but then also shooting music videos for Academy. 
And so there was kind of like a disparity in what, what I was doing. So I was like, I think I need to like retrain or, or like make sure that I'm of a level that they can't turn around and be like, Billy, that DP is not good enough. Took myself back to the national to study. And I'm assuming that was also part of a decision because you wanted to move into the film industry and perhaps not just be kind of working in the commercial space as well. Was it always your ambition to be a cinematographer for feature films? To be honest, the original ambition was documentary. And that's kind of like when I first went to Bournemouth, I was studying, you can, like you um, specialise in the first year. And I was specialised in documentary and cinematography. And I was like, I want to be able to be technical enough to go out and shoot my own documentaries. And that's kind of where it all come from, like the Occupy thing. Mm. Yeah, part of like just art at school was me going out with a little camera and like interviewing random, like random people on the street. <laughs> and so it was sort of, yeah, that's where it came from. And then when we were at Bournemouth, the documentary course was like particularly underfunded and the facilities for fiction were like really amazing. Like you could build your own sets. We, my grad film, we end up, building a 40 foot prison and like they had Alexas and everything. And I was like, Hey, these, these guys get, they get more fun. So um, decided to, to switch over to fiction and then, but it was always kind of storytelling on, and like politically or like socially engaged storytelling from the start. So yeah, it was definitely NFTS was definitely a, like go back to that and focus on storytelling kind of thing as well. I'm thinking back to the kind of application process for NFTS. I'm wondering like if you remember like what you had to submit. Like obviously if you were shooting stuff, you know, at Bournemouth you had some material, but do you remember like what you submitted as part of your application? I know that as part of the application there they really want whole pieces. Like they don't they don't want to like and I think it's something that's really interesting in hot in like in shooting in general is that when I was starting out, I was like, oh you need a showreel, but actually people want to see that you can like complete a whole short film or music video and that it's consistent and that it's like the whole way through it works so that's what nfts are for it's like one short that is like they'd rather see one finished piece of storytelling than like nice shots collected kind of thing so yeah i put my grad film in more hate than fear which i wrote and billy directed and i shot and then I'm really interested in the fact there that obviously at NFTS, you have a lot of resources at your fingertips. You know, obviously the teaching is a really high standard. What was it then like graduating and perhaps going back to having to hustle for yourself and, and kind of taking that leap into maybe being a full-time cinematographer? Like, did you find that quite hard? I was super lucky in that I got signed in first year at in, in, like in, in NFTS. And that's by an agent? Is that Wizzo & Co? Yeah, by Wizzo, yeah. So, and also because I'd been working with Billy and another close collaborator, Frank LeBon, we sort of managed to sneak in little shoots during my time at NFTS. So I managed to sort of like ease my way out of, (laughs) rather than it be like a cold drop, it was like very much a smooth transition. I mean, I was doing crazy things. I wrapped my grad film at one o'clock in the morning, packed the Panelux van, went home, packed my bag and then got on a plane and flew and worked for a week with Frank. Um, So like I was just, it was burning the candle at both ends for two years, like hardcore. But it meant that when I came out, it wasn't like, there wasn't a sudden drop. That's really interesting. I like, yeah, burning the candle at both ends. Like, is that something that you kind of still feel like you're doing? Like, how do you sustain that like level of energy required to, to have to make your stamp basically? Yeah, I, I I definitely burn the candle at both ends for sure. And it's like, it, there's, a, there's times when I'm like, wow, this is exhausting. But it is, 
I sort of enjoy, I mean, I think I've got a very addictive personality and I like gave up drink in first year at Bournemouth and I just became addicted to shooting. And I think it's like sort of a healthy thing to do, but also just as unhealthy as booze. Um, I'd love to know, like, you know, thinking about shooting, like how you prepare for a shoot mentally, physically, aesthetically, technically, like talk me through your process and how you get ready for a film shoot. I'm like a, I mean, I really love to prep. Like, it's like something that I've, I've never understood when people don't like to prep, but I mean, that's a personal thing. But, it, and it started with me and Billy. Like, we would used to go to like every single location. We'd shoot the scene on a on an iPhone. We'd storyboard, you know, it was like a really intense level of prep. We'd have move, we'd have like a camera breakdown and each scene would have a reference, a top down, like a storyboard, and a shot list on it and we'd have like one page for each each scene and now so I do it I definitely do that less because you just the sheer amount you can't you, you know you can't get through it but it's something that I, I mean I, I love to prep and then throw it all away on on the on the day because then at least if you're st- suddenly on a scene or, or on, a sh- on a shot and you're like what are we doing again you have something to go wait, 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 look back on and and you've got it there so over prep and then I never really look at it unless there's like a real sticking sticking method, but um, like shooting it on phones and shot listing and references and yeah, all of yeah. it. I suppose it's more about the absorption of the materials and then like giving you the confidence, right? To know that you're not going in blind. Yeah, yeah, totally. And reading through the script and going like, if that looked like that, then how does that work with the next thing coming up rather than thinking them of all separate scenes? We, we always used to like build rules for ourselves as well, like, you know, and and then and then again maybe not stick to them but then you sort of said like the close up is on a fifty mil and the wide is on this lens and we sort of like we're gonna stay static on the wides and then and then when you break the rule you really feel there's an intention behind it rather than it being like rather than sort of making each scene up as as you go along. Mm, definitely, yeah, I like that. And I've read as well that you you like your camera to follow emotion or the emotion. And I'm wondering if you can kind of elaborate on that sentiment and what you mean by it and how that then translates when you're on set and you're the one holding the camera. How, how do you follow that emotion? I think like cinematography is like deeply, like you, you can like see into someone's soul if you do it, if you do it right. And, um, and I, I, I just, I mean, I, I really love using handheld and like being close to people's faces and like, and and understand and letting it breathe at the right moment and go pushing in close at the right moment and that's something that I think if you are emotional you can you can yeah you can react to quickly in the moment I mean it's hard to explain because it's probably something that is instinctful and does mm. that make sense is that <laughs> and it kind of leads me on to my next question which is about a style and whether you consider yourself I mean presumably you do to have an individual style and something that's like unique to you and at what point did you recognize that in your in your craft and how did you go about honing that yeah I think I mean I know that ads especially I get booked for like emotional handheld realism and mm-hmm. so maybe that's what's kind of gone into my fiction as well Although, having said that, the thing we're about to start is like all locked off wides and like letting it play out. And then, mm. so, I mean, I hope I have not a crippling style in that it's not transferable into other other mm. styles. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to pride myself on on handheld, and I think that just comes from I used to probably the documentary, but I also used to film my brothers in a punk band, and I ended up a lot in the mosh pit with five Bs, you know, <laughs> like. 
I think that probably comes from there is just like being reactive to like punches and 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 yeah just thinking on your feet quite quickly otherwise you will get knocked over and is it projects like that like on the side with your mates like with family that kind of encourages experimentation because obviously when you're you know hired for a project there maybe is quite a set brief that you have to deliver on so you know when when do you have that chance for like playfulness or like trying new things out is that something yeah you do in your own time yeah I think that's kind of why I wanted to start directing and and, and doing little bits of like yeah, my own filmmaking it was just like the space to be like what if we shot this whole scene on a 360 track or what if we you know what if we and I, I think it comes from cinematography in a way but it comes from like trying to trying to break the creativity a little bit but also like music videos and you know working with people like Frank who just like think outside the box and 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 pushing for those direct to work with those directors who are yeah more less conventional filmmakers um you obviously mentioned there writing and directing and I know you mentioned that you wrote your grad film so obviously it was something that was percolating for a while but I'm you know wondering at what point you recognized that your interests transcended cinematography and how did you go about sort of manifesting that desire to do more writing and directing yeah, I guess it's all, it, like you said, it, I, I wrote the grad film then. So it's always kind of been bubbled. And I was doing little documentaries. And like, um, just before I went to NFTS, I, I went to Columbia and made a documentary just because I was like feeling really low. And I was like, I need to go and make something. And so I think it's always been under the under the skin. But it was sort of like end of NFTS where we'd finished the grad films. And like, I was like, it, I mean, it's a good thanks. It was like a very personal story. And it was like, uh, almost therapy to, to to make that film and so I just felt like I really it, I'd been talking about it for ages and I just felt like I really needed to do it and yeah it wasn't really ever it was sort of meant to just be like another one of those creative side projects that fuel the creativity and I guess it it sort of turned into more than than, oh. it, than it was in my head which is which is nice <laughs> we'll definitely talk more about Good Thanks to You because it is a beautiful short um, but I'm also interested to know whether it was hard to establish yourself as a writer-director particularly because I wonder with like technical roles whether there's a bit of a like stay in your lane mentality like obviously you've trained really hard to get that qualification and to establish yourself so to then almost like cross over to the other side you know was that difficult at all? Yeah I mean I think I was fighting my own prejudice as much as everyone else's prejudice because mm. I'm very conscious of that and you know a lot of people were worried about it and but 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 but, but two of the directors that were my close collaborators like, you've got to go and do this. And I think if you're, you know, if you're able to direct someone close to the camera and I'm stuck in a situation where I can't, you know, if you can develop skills that mean that you're, you can understand what a director wants or you can be there in a moment of need and also not overstep the mark because you know what that feels like, mm-hmm. then amazing, then you're going to be a better cinematographer for it. And I just, mm-hmm. so I kind of just took that advice. <laughs> I mean, I took their advice and just thought I've got I've got to run with this because I've got to make this film for my for my own sake. So I mean I hope that it doesn't shut down doors. It's something that it's like one of my main concerns. You know, it's like I love shooting so much and mm-hmm. I would not want to give that up. But I also there's a few stories that I feel the need to convey. Um, I was interested there that you mentioned yes yeah, skills that kind of help you maybe serve a director's vision. Can you expand on that and maybe like what are some of the skills that you feel like you need to be a good cinematographer? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, the one thing that I noticed when I was directing was like, oh my God, you get asked so many questions. <laughs> and and so it's really made me as a cinematographer think about what I'm asking and if I actually need to ask it or whether I can think about that for myself. And also like, yeah, just it was it was real learning curve for me as a cinematographer in like how to prep and how to have those discussions and act on set in order to like help a director out basically. Does that answer your questions? Not really. That was no, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, because obviously you're being hit constantly by people being like, "What about this?" and like, "When do we need this?" Um, and asking questions that they definitely don't need the answers. <laughs> it's like <laughs> they must be quite flustering. So then, you know, thinking about the switch, and then obviously them being the director and being the one to articulate your own vision when, you know, cinematography is a role, like probably every role on set, you're there to serve the director's vision. You're there to help make that happen. Did it require like another level of confidence to be the one with the vision and saying, this is what I want? You know, was that again, something you had to like reckon with? Yeah. I mean, it was a huge realization of like how skilled director. (laughs) That first day I was like, okay, Uh, I've got to do something I haven't done before. And also I found, you know, like, I think I was so trained to look for a lens and tell stories through a lens rather than like forget the image and talk to actors and understand story and be conscious of story. And it was something that definitely took warming into to, you know, disconnect from being like, what if we pan pan left and we see that, you know, it's like different focuses for sure. Mm, yeah like learning how to direct actors was that something that you'd had experience in or was like learning on the job I mean I definitely learning on the job 100% uh, I was also super lucky to work with Isabella who cast like incredible actors so it was like half the job was done do you know they, they were like incredible like really really great and had super supportive production around me to creative producers around me like on monitors which was you know something that is such a blessing but yeah it was definitely landing on the job for sure <laughs> well let's talk more about good thanks you because obviously you're referring to Isabella O'Dolphin I believe and she cast Jasmine Jobson and Michael Ward in your short and it's it's a heavy short there's no two ways about it it deals with trauma and sexual assault and I'm wondering you know why you felt like that story was important to you to tell why now and then also how you went about creating a safe space on set to tell that story yeah, so it was, as I said, it was a really personal story. I was assaulted when I was 16. And one of the things that I felt was that I was less traumatized by the event, which sounds mad, but I was more traumatized by the like aftermath, which, you know, was the police and the doctors and people that were like repeatedly asking me to tell the story again or like didn't believe me or didn't. And so it was like, I wanted to convey that the repetition and the like whirlwind that can be created around an assault purely based on how you look after someone post-assault, like what that does to someone. Considering, I mean, for yourself, I imagine it will be quite a hard task to create a safe environment where you're having to, in some ways, relive perhaps what you went through, but then creating a safe environment for the actors to tell that story. How did you go about doing that? So actually, Sora, one of the producers, was like incredibly conscious of this. And despite me being like, I'm fine, don't worry about me. She got a uh, on-set counsellor 
and we also had an intimacy coordinator so all which was like the most incredible experience working with an intimacy coordinator i know you guys did a talk yesterday about it. it it was just so fascinating how you can disconnect someone's brain from a sexual experience and make it a piece of like performance yeah i just can't value their work enough because it i just can't even imagine doing it without them it was it was like it was so good and then the counselor which i again you know, I was like, nah, don't, nah, it's fine. But obviously I needed to make this film for like reasons of getting therapy, of like getting it out. And so to have someone there to call and be like, uh, today was a bit sketchy, actually. It was like so incredible. I wish all films had had that. <laughs> and what was it then like putting it out into the world and releasing it and knowing that a part of you is then out there for people to watch and have opinions on? I mean, the most insane thing happened when we put the Kickstarter out where like, hundreds of people messaged me being like this has also happened to me and you know my housemate at the time came downstairs and was like this had happened to me you know men women like people were just reaching out on like such a huge scale that it kind of you know it really made me feel safer in a way I mean darker in a way because it happens to so many people but also just like surrounded by people that know what it feels like and I think there's something we've there's so much stigma around not talking about assault and yet it happens to so many people that yeah just hoping that the that it starts to open up and hoping that the film or like projects like this can can start to allow people to voice voice things openly well thank you for making that film and thank you for talking about that just now i'm also really intrigued by the fact that anna mcdonald lends the film who is another dop brilliant dop i'm wondering what that relationship was like between the two of you because obviously you're conceding a role to her that you know very well you're very familiar with more so perhaps than other directors so yeah how did you kind of configure that with her yeah i mean i think she did a great job it was definitely tricky as in from i can't imagine she had it easy because i i was probably probably very anxious about not having the camera but I, I yeah, she did such a good job and she was very collaborative and she was also like this is your project and I want you to have the best for best for it so it's like super accommodating and just never ever shoot a scene on a 360 track <laughs> it was the most common we were just like sat in corners the whole time being like there could be a cut point here maybe there could be a cut point just drawing circles so it was definitely not easy for her and it wasn't easy for me to give it up either but it was a huge learning curve I'm really interested in the fact that obviously cinematography is uh, a craft that I feel like is very impacted by maybe like changing technical trends and obviously there's new equipment being released um, all the time. How and where do you access that? How do you learn kind of how to use new cameras or I'm, I'm revealing myself to not know the terminology, but you know, the new kit that might be coming out, you know, how and where do you go to get better at using that? I like always take myself into rental houses, Panavision especially, like if there's a new piece of kit, it's tricky because sometimes you get asked to use a piece of kit, like directors often in commercials will write it into the treatment and suddenly you're like, oh God, I haven't used that. That's a lot of like, but I take, I always take myself into Panavision and like familiarise myself with it, take it out of a test room because test rooms are never seen in films. I've never understood. They're great technically, but creatively they're not, mm-hmm. they're not empowering. And yeah, try and get as get your hands on the kit as much as possible. Basically, I mean, it's easier once you sort of like done jobs with rental houses. But when you when you start out, it's really tricky. You're not known by the rental house, so you can't just call them up and be like, "Hey, you know that new camera? Can I come in and have a look?" Or you know those new lenses. So yeah, it's it, but they're usually pretty friendly and and 
and they, they're up for supporting people. So obviously you've got a really unique perspective. So perhaps you can answer it from kind of like both sides. But when you're looking to get a job, you know, someone is looking for a cinematographer as a director, what are you looking for in a, in a cinematographer? And then as a cinematographer, like how do those conversations with a work work with a director to make sure that you're the right fit for one another? I think definitely collaborating in, in general, like a collaborator, someone who's open and up for discussion and like someone who you can sit and have dinner with as well as like go out to a recce with. And, uh, you know, you have to like live with these people, basically become your surrogate family. So someone who's like amenable and like good, a good energy to have on set, but also that their style and technical skills fit with what you're looking for. You know, if you want someone who's super handheld, but they don't, they don't really, they don't want to do that or they don't do that, then that's obviously not the right fit. But in general, it's like most cinematographers can do what you need. You just need to like have the conversation and be able to have those conversations and therefore be able to like have creative discussion. For me, it's all about like, who can you have a good creative discussion with? And therefore, where can you, you can reach new heights when you can open new doors kind of thing. And, and given that it's such an image-led craft, where are you going to for kind of reference points or inspiration? Like, obviously, maybe movies, but beyond that, where else do you look? Yeah, photography, art, paintings, like, you know, Frank, one of the directors I work with, he'll reference, like, a mask. He'll bring, like, a mask to the table and we're like, okay, so this is the key reference. Where are we going from here? So, like, I mean, literally, and like, that's why I love working with them because you've got to, like, unlock your brain in, like, a whole new way of working. I mean, paintings are amazing for light because they're sort of, yeah, they're, they're always stunning and they always put the light in, in the right place. And they use one source as well, which is something that I've always tried to do as well. What does that mean? As in there's just one source of light in the frame and why is that something that you strive towards? I've, I mean, I've always done it, but like one of my tutors, we were trying to do this really complicated shot where we were like, it was like a top down on a guy in prison. It was on in Moorhaven Fear and it was like meant to pass 24 hours. So it was like the, day, the sun was meant to set, the moonlight was meant to come up and then like it was meant to go pitch black and then the lights flicker on. And I like called one of my tutors and I was like, ah, so we're thinking these lights here and this light here and it's going to turn on here and boo. And he was like, just, he's like partially deaf, Stuart. And he was like, just use one light, just use one light. And I was like, okay, what the hell? And we ended up just like using one light and panning it through gel so that it can change color temperature and then dropping it down. And like ever since then, I've just like been obsessed with the idea that you can do everything with one light if you put it in the right place. Because like one light kind of sounds like it could be a limitation, but actually, yeah, as you say, it kind of unlocks other creative possibilities by almost like narrowing the the possibilities. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And I think sometimes like the short I did with Libby absent, like we only had one light there because we couldn't afford anything. And like some of my favorite pieces of work have like had those limitations, like you said. And so you make better work because you're working around it, or you're choosing better locations, or you're you know, planning the light of this, like you're tracking the light of the sun and being like, we should shoot here then and here then. It makes you think harder rather than if you have a whole truck full of lights, you know, you can spend hours putting them up in different places. It's never as good as when you've actually thought about it. You spoke there obviously about having projects that you're particularly proud of. I'm wondering if there's, you know, either a film as a whole or like a shot that you're like just so gassed that you like got to create weirdly more hate than fear is like one of a still something i hold like and that that shot where the light changes across his face just because it's like one of those things where the whole team spent 
head like put heads together and like really nailed it and we were so young and we didn't really know what we were doing at all and so it's definitely something I yeah put on a pedestal but like Absent which directed by Libby but Wild um, which is for like a short that we made for period poverty it's like we had no money yeah we, we just like it was it was like incredibly simple and I think those projects are something that really rise above the others we also have to talk about your first feature, which, as I mentioned, is in development with Film 4 and you just won a prize at Cannes for the script, um, which is really exciting. But I'm wondering how you found the progression from writing shorts to writing a feature. You know, did that feel like a big and scary leap? It's a kind of a bonkers story. So it is a, it's a massive leap. And I guess both Good Thanks You and Forgotten Sea are kind of less story I mean there's story in them but they're definitely like built around a shooting style and like shooting out of a window or shooting on a 360 track and like it was kind of always so to go and do a a feature was definitely a challenge but Film Forward asked me to write a treatment and I was like shooting a lot and I just hadn't I hadn't sat down and I don't think I would have ever sat down if the pandemic hadn't have hit and I found writing a treatment really really tricky because of like compressing a whole story into a few pages. And I, when I was like, oh, I'm not really sure what the story is. So in lockdown, I, I, I just wrote the hot first draft basically. And my agent was like, this is crazy. And if you, you, if you want to hand this in, this fine. But if they don't like it, you might lose your commission completely. So just be really careful about handing it in. And I was like, I don't know if I can ever write a treatment. So we, we handed it in and luckily they loved it. So we sort of skipped a lot of stages and definitely haven't done it in a way that is following the, the normal trajectory. Why you felt you had to go straight into the, 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 the writing stage and like not do the treatment first? Was it just the story that was like within you that was kind of bursting to be told? I mean, I guess it's probably an unskilled thing of not knowing exactly what the story was until I'd like put it down on paper. It's probably not being a skilled enough writer to be like, this is exactly what the story is kind of thing. And then, and therefore having having an abbreviated, abbreviated version of it and just going like, and just experimenting. And I had the time, so I was like writing scenes and being like, this is a great scene, but it doesn't fit in this at all. Or, you know, like throwing it out kind of thing. It's probably never a way that, could ever be <laughs> could only be written in a, in a pandemic like that <laughs> well, I feel like that's a good process to like take with you though like to know that what you're writing doesn't have to end up in the final draft like writing still serves a purpose like no matter what it is that it turns into you know because it's just about always practicing the craft I think so yeah that definitely resonates with me I mean the thing that resonates less is just like writing something or anything in a pandemic because I found myself so like creatively stimmied and and dry during the pandemic so I'm wondering like how you maintain focus and and inspiration and motivation I mean I definitely spent the first two weeks like walking around in circles in my flat just going like what am I doing like and also just used to shooting short form especially bouncing from job to job so like being like oh my hands are empty and I'm like lost and I don't know what I'm doing and having way too much energy but my partner like who's a producer just like locked themselves away in the office and was like because they own their own company they were like if I give up now then I feel like when I come out of the pandemic, I'll have nothing to, because I need the routine of the day to day. Otherwise, when will I ever start again? Kind of kind of thing. So even though they didn't really have any work, they were sort of doing development and bits and bobs. So I was like in the house alone 
And I was like, I have to do something productive. Otherwise, I'm going to bounce too hard off the walls. So that's when the film. And I also think there was a slight pressure of like, I said I'd write this treatment. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to write this treatment. And now's probably the best time to do something with the writing because otherwise, if work starts again, when will that time happen again? I was wondering, you know, obviously Film 4, huge, done a lot of great films. What's it like working with a public body like that that have their own thoughts, feelings, comments about what it is you're creating? You know, how did you kind of, yeah, like reconcile that with your own process? I mean, it's been a really amazing process. There hasn't been like huge amount of notes, which is like incredible. They've been really supportive before before when I bought the when they were like do you want to write treatment and I was like yeah yeah and I brought them an idea and then I sat on it for three months and didn't write anything and then I brought them this idea I was like I can't write that one can I try this one and they were like yeah great keep going like just you know they've been really incredible and I, I guess I have quite a personal question I mean it's related to the professional but I mean I don't know how comfortable I'd be answering it so obviously say no but I'm wondering if you're at the stage in your career that you thought you'd be or you know coming out of NFTS and thinking maybe what you would want to do in the next couple of years have you achieved that are you where you thought you'd be I feel very lucky to be honest I feel like there wasn't necessarily a plan or maybe there was but I didn't know about it (laughs) (laughs) and and yeah I just I just I've just kept going and and I feel very lucky to be you know working with amazing directors and also doing my own stuff. I mean, it's a bit of a dream. Maybe it will all come crashing down one day, but it feels good at the moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm beyond where I thought I would be, I guess. I think that chimes though with like the theme of the summit, which is like resilience and like, yeah, as you say, keeping going, but kind of reconfiguring the plan and constantly adjusting to like what there is in front of you. Like no one could have planned for the pandemic, but like you adjusted what it was that you wanted to do in order to create something new, which I think, yeah, is a good, good takeaway. And is there something that you consider to be like the biggest learning curve of your career or like something that you wish you could have told younger Molly? Fight to have your career around you. Yeah, fight for support and to have nice people around you and to like feel supported on on sets because sometimes you go to war and if you don't have your your buddies around you it's uh it's not that fun can you expand on that like what do you mean by going to war and what does support look like for you support looks like for me like being able to like whisper in your gaffer's ear and be like is this good or you know like like some of my favorite crew and people that I feel really supported by are like pals and they, you know, they tech, like, they're just like, we're in constant communication creatively, but also emotionally. And like, there's like a, a family element to it. You know, you really spend so much time with these people that when, when it all clicks and when it all works, you know, they, they become part of your life in a way that I see them more than I see like lots of my family. Sometimes you go to war on projects where like it's relentless and your the hours are crazy and not everyone gets on because I think filmmaking is all about collaboration and it's all about like the right combination of people on the right project makes something amazing. And when things don't really like totally align, that's when things go like, you know, not awful, but just like it, is, it isn't that joyful thing that you get when you're like, we're making something great and we've got this amazing team around us, which is like quite rare, but when it happens, it's so amazing. But when 
there's bad combination of people and yeah you really need that like whisper in the ear or the like family feeling that you're that you you kind of go home with and at least you've got that that support around you yeah I love that idea of yeah is it good (laughs) someone that can actually like give you an honest opinion we touched on this earlier like this idea that moving into being a writer director and not wanting to leave cinematography behind and obviously you're a multi-hyphenate what is that balance going to look like moving forward like how are you going to kind of negotiate between those kind of like three crafts so this year I've shot like a, a tv a block of tv and a feature and they're both like both been amazing experiences and and I feel like I'll hold out for you know stories that are similar in power to shoot and I'll keep shooting short form in between and then I'm going to focus on making the feature hopefully next year and then just try and balance it all <laughs> I mean see how far we can we can go I mean the writing thing is what I find the most difficult mm. and I'm sure the directing will take up a lot more time as well but like I said I, I find it so difficult to sit down so I think that that will be a struggle moving forward yeah I suppose it's treating it as intuitive and like what feels like the right project to do at the right time and just like having a listening ear to that part of yourself we do have some time for questions so if the audience members if there are audience members I can't see you it's so weird doing a live event without being able to see anyone if you do have questions please put them I believe there's a Q&A box rather than the chat box um, and we can ask them but if not I'd love to know what's a film by a woman director it can be old it can be new it can be short it can be feature length that you consider to be a bit of a hidden gem um, that you wish more people had seen called Fat Girl is it Catherine Barret Beret? But I, think I that completely is. mangled that pronunciation. So apologies to any French people who are listening. I love that film so much. And yeah, seeing character aren't like you know, characters that aren't Hollywoodized on screen. And do you like look to those, do you like look to films for, I mean, we spoke a little bit about references, but like when you have a specific project in mind, you like going back to any other particular films, particular directors, any women cinematographers that you kind of look to whose work you love as well? I mean, something that like really, which I don't know if I enjoy so much anymore, but like Hurt Locker, Catherine Bigelow was something that like literally blew my mind at the time. And I was like, that was, I think, something that has influenced my cinematography, like Barry Ackroyd's, that like hectic, handheld, intense, emotional cinematography. That film really unlocked that for me. I mean, I'm always going back and watching the same film again. I've, I've, I think I've watched Florida Project four times this like in the last <laughs> last two months or something. Mm. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm I'm always rewatching films. My, Billy always tells me off for it. Like, what new films? Why are you watching the same ones again? Like you're watching it as a different person. Like you'll have accumulated maybe more experience, or like there'll be more questions within you. So the next time you go back to watch it, you'll maybe like. I guess, guess get something more from it yeah I love watching it again where you're like oh that cuts to that and like yeah. it's looking at coverage and being like uh, okay they just didn't cut they just had that one shot in that scene we do have an audience question which is exciting I'm sorry Clo- I'm gonna say Cloda um, I'm sorry if that's not how you pronounce your name um, but she would like to know if you have any advice for directors especially new directors about collaborating with DPs or cinematographers yeah I think you know, something that I was really lucky with when I started out was that both the directors that I started with were photographers. I think if you're a new director, like carry a little camera with you or like or like try and take photos on your phone or like just understand and look at photographs and be like understand images and what they do for you and just try and find a visual 
language that intrigues you because then you can communicate it and if you start taking photographs you have the language to be like I prefer it in wide shots or you know I I like it backlit or you know you can figure out what your style is through your own photograph and therefore influence your work. I love that idea of language as well and I suppose it's about trusting in your own individual way of expressing something as opposed to assuming that there's like an arbitrary language that everyone speaks. Thank you so much Molly um, for joining me for this Women with a Movie Camera Summit and this special live edition of Best Girl Grip. It's been a pleasure. I've followed your work for a while. So yeah, this is a real treat for me. Oh, thank you so much. It's been great. Thank you for downloading this episode of Best Girl Grip. As mentioned in the intro, you can watch two short films that Molly lends right now for free on all four, called Morning Song and Pompeii. Type film4.com into your search bar and scroll to the bottom of the page. You honestly won't regret it, they are two fantastic short films. I'll be back next week with the third and final instalment in this bonus trilogy. Have a great week! Bye.